And uh, thank you, Michael, for that great number. And God bless you as you get ready to go to college and all the other ones going as well, because God is with us no matter what we're doing. And uh, they asked me to preach this morning because Pastor Darrell's been on vacation all week, and we don't want him to have to study on vacation. Pastor Fred's on vacation. Pastor Jonathan had a wedding last night. I appreciate Dave stepping right in, doing such a great job this morning on the worship. And it's good to see all of you here. God bless you. Good to, we can be together. If you take out your sermon notes on the back of your bulletin, and uh, let's look right into God's word. As you do that, let's bow our heads for prayer. And just pray God a bless. Father, we ask you to just speak to our hearts this morning about revival. Touch us, O Lord, and let the word God be anointed by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This summer has been designated as a summer of revival by Pastor Darrell, as you see on the, the front of your bulletin and on the screen. And I believe the Lord, by His Spirit, has given us some great messages on revival. I believe we really have heard from the Spirit of God and the messages and the words that He wants us to receive that might be imparted into our spirits so that we can be filled and flow with revival that God wants to bring to our church. The message that God has laid on my heart for this weekend is on Elijah the man of revival. The story of Elijah is found in the last few chapters of the book of 1 Kings, as well as a familiar reference to Elijah in the New Testament. And I want to read from James chapter 5 for our text, verses 17 and 18, where it tells us Elijah was as human as we are. That's reading from the uh, New Living Translation that I've been using. King James might be more familiar where it says, Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. In other words, he was just as human as we are. I mention that because sometimes it's easy for us to say, well, those guys back in the Bible were just superheroes. You know, yeah, all, this, yeah, all this talk about revival is good, but it's just not for me. I'm an ordinary person, and there's no point in me getting all stirred up spiritually uh, to begin seeking God and, and expecting God to move in me. Might be good for some people, but I'm just an ordinary person. I want you to look at this this morning. Elijah was as human as we are. Same passions, same discouragements, same kind of problems. Yet it says, when he prayed earnestly that there was no rainfall, none fell for three and a half years. Verse 18, then when he prayed again, the sky sent rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Wow. In other words, he changed the world by his earnest, passionate prayer. It reminds me of the great sermon that Pastor Darrell preached last month. He had the chessboard on the, on the table, remember? And uh, he said over and over again, when we move, God moves. When Elijah prayed, God sent rain. Thank God for answered prayer. See, when the Israelites were becoming a nation, there, was, there were, at different times, miracles, declarations of supernatural power, revelations, prophecies took place, and we especially see that connected with Elijah and Elisha as a protest against the prevailing idolatry and the wickedness when the nation had forsaken God. There's another book that I want to refer to this morning. 
that probably had more influence as much as any other in my life. Uh, it's called Why Revival Terries. came out in the 1950. That's the copy of the cover. Uh, just about the time I began in ministry, and I had this book all my ministerial life, and I've never forgotten it. It's written by Leonard Ravenhill, a real prophetic uh, man of revival. And uh, here's the copy entitled, Why Revival Terry. And I thought of this all summer long as Pastor Darrell announced our summer series. It's going to be a summer revival. I thought, what a relevant thought this is. Why revival tarries? We often ask the question, where is revival? Or is there going to be any revival? What will it take to bring revival? Now, I've never forgotten chapter 4 in this book, which is a chapter on Elijah. Now, I haven't read it recently, so I'm not preaching uh, what's in this book this morning, but I do want to preach about Elijah, because Elijah's name appears about a hundred times in the Bible. He's a rugged figure among the prophet. And I asked them to put on the screen a picture, a drawing from this book that this is a picture I get in my mind when I think about Elijah after reading this many years ago. The idea of a rugged prophet of God, declaring God's message. Serious, powerful, those eyes, declaring the word of God. I read about Elijah, I immediately see this in my, in my mind. I want to share that with you. Because Elijah, one thing is a type of John the Baptist. Remember him? And uh, later a king asked, what did Elijah look like? And the Bible says in, first King, in Second Kings, he was a hairy man, or some translations say he wore a hairy cloak or a mantle, and he had a leather belt around his waist. That was his description. It says of John the Baptist in the New Testament, first chapter of Mark, that John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and for food he ate locusts and wild honey. In fact, in some day, in Jesus' day, some people thought that John the Baptist was Elijah, who had come back to this earth in the flesh, because he was, like John the Baptist, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. You know, Elijah's name, I want to talk about it for a minute and break it down for you. His name means Jehovah is God. On the screen, the first two letters is El. That's God's name, Elohim, God of creation, always referred El Shaddai, all these names of God with El. And the last three letters are the word Yah, which is the Hebrew for Jehovah. Put them together, you've got Elijah, or God is Jehovah, which is the name that that means, Elijah means. He was a rugged figure, as I said. He would show up at times and just declare God's word to the king at that time. King's name was Ahab, wicked man. His wife was more wicked. Her name was Jezebel. Everybody remember the name Jezebel? And Elijah predicted her death, and it happened just as Elijah said it was going to happen. Elijah would show up give a word to Ahab, and then he would disappear. <laughs> There's one time when Ahab had his whole army out looking for Ahab because Ahab, King Ahab, excuse me, looking for Elijah, King Ahab needed God 
to change his mind and hold back the judgment that had come upon the nation because of the wickedness. So he's out looking for Elijah, but the army can't find him. Because Elijah, at times, will be hiding in a cave. One time he camped out by a brook for a number of months. He was a rugged individual, an outdoor man. But his life was given over to miraculous ministry, namely, to awaken Israel to the conviction that Jehovah alone is God. Jehovah is God, which is what his very name means. And toward the end of his life, you know the story that Elijah laid his mantle upon a follower, like a call to designate a successor, a man named Elisha. Remember the name Elisha? And an amazing end to Elijah's life comes as he crosses the Jordan River. The waters open up. He walks through on dry ground, and Elisha's with him because Elisha wanted to see Elijah when he left. Elijah said to me, if you see me when I go, you can ask whatever you will, and it will be yours. You know what Elijah asked for? He asked for a double portion of the anointing that was on Elijah. Then a chariot of fire came to receive Elijah, and he was caught up to heaven in a whirlwind, and that was his home going. What a spectacular, miraculous end to his life here on this earth. But Elisha watches his mentor and his master go up in a whirlwind with a chariot of fire. Elisha walks over, he picks up the mantle from Elijah, and he walks over the Jordan River that they just crossed, and he strikes the water, and he says, where is the God of Elijah? And the water opened, just like it did for Elijah. The double portion began, and he walked across on dry ground. Here's a saying that I've never forgotten from this book. Why revival tarries? Because Ravenhill asked the question today, that the, answer, that the question we need to ask is not, where is the God of Elijah, but where are the Elijahs of God? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Where are the people of God? Like Elijah, who will pray like Elijah. See the miraculous begin to happen. See revival in our land that it might be healed. Because if we're going to see revival, where are the people who will begin to keep believing God for righteousness? Speaking the word of faith to see God move. I feel that's what Pastor Darrell was asking us to do this summer. And I like to say this morning, where are the Elijahs of God who will step up? It wasn't just for Elijah. His successor began next and had a double portion of God's spirit upon his life and ministry when he picked up that mantle and began to do the works of God. It's interesting, it's been pointed out, even in the miracles, there was a double portion of anointing. Elijah performed eight major miracles in his lifetime in ministry, but Elisha performed 16 recorded miracles in his life in ministry. Elisha had 16 miracles, twice as many. There was like a double portion even of the miracles. I have a whole sermon just on the miracles of Elijah. I'm not going to preach that this morning. I probably could preach another one on the miracles of Elisha, but that's not the message that I want for this morning. This morning I feel the Lord wanted me to preach on Elijah, the man, the man Elijah, the man of revival. 
Let me just briefly list those eight miracles so you can see the miraculous in his life because miracles and answers to prayer are a definite part of revival. And I want you to see what a great man of God Elijah was too. Here's a miracle list on the screen behind me. Number one is the miracle of the long drought. Elijah had prophesied to the king because of the wickedness of the nation, because the wick that they had forsaken God, there would be no rain, and no rain came for three and a half years. Second miracle was God's provision during that famine. He provided those three and a half years for Elijah, his prophet, by two different venues. God moved and never forsook the prophet that had spoken the word of God. He provided. Third one is an example of that is the miracle of the meal and the oil that never ran out in first. Kings chapter 17 it was provided for Elijah through a widow woman and her son. And she went to fix the last meal when Elijah showed up. She said, all I've got is enough for one cake in the bottom of the barrel. She got that meal, one little bit of oil in the flask, and she made a meal. And you know, for the rest of that famine, every time she went back to the barrel, there was enough meal for another meal. There was enough, that sounds good, enough meal for another meal. Got that? Uh, oil in the flask, always was there, enough to cook the next meal. That's the third miracle. But her son, the fourth miracle is, he died. And Elijah prayed for that boy, and he was resurrected back to life. Fifth miracle is after three and a half years, Elijah prayed for rain, as we read in the book of, uh, of um, um, in the New Testament. And uh, we saw the story here how he prayed earnestly and God opened the heavens and brought rain. Then the sixth miracle is the miracle of the angelic food, uh, meal. Elijah became discouraged. Remember, he was a man like we are. He became uh, depressed and he went out and went to sleep under a tree in the wilderness. And God sent an angel down two times, cooked a meal for him, said, wake up, Elijah, and eat. God provided for him in his discouragement. He ate the meal, went right back to sleep again. He was totally exhausted after doing all this work for the Lord. God sent the angel a second time with a second meal. Get up, Elijah, and eat. And he ate that meal, and the scripture says he went for the next 40 days on the, on the meal, the heavenly meal that had been provided for him. It was a real miracle. Number seven is the miracle of divine uh, manifestation. God passed by, and there was a great wind. It was like a tornado happened. Then it was followed by an earthquake. Then it was followed by fire. Scripture says God passed by, and these things happened. But God wasn't in those things. The thing that happened where God was was a still, small voice of God speaking that Elijah Heard the still small voice as well as the manifestations. The final miracle is, as we referred to before, the parting of the Jordan River, the chariot of fire, to receive Elijah's translation up into heaven. What a powerful, great man of God to bring God and his message to the people in the midst of apostasy. But I want to concentrate this morning for our message. Just want you to see the miracles quickly. But I want to concentrate on Elijah as a man of revival. We've seen his power, how he's used by God. But I want us to see 
the man, not just the power, not what he did, but take a look at the man, just like we are living in an ungodly society, living in a nation that has forsaken God and his ways. Here is a man. The first thing I want to show you about Elijah was a man of revival. Number one, Elijah affected his nation. Elijah affected his, his whole nation by his conviction and his dedication to God. In a sinful world, one man saw the consequences and the results from praying and from his actions. And his nation knew that there was one true God because he challenged the forces of evil around about him. And that is a sign of true revival. When our prayers and our actions begin to affect even the nation we can begin to pray and see God move in a godless society because revival has hit our spirit. Hallelujah. We read the testimony of different people. One man that, that always impressed me was a, a man they called Praying Hyde, who also had that spirit of prayer. He was a missionary in India in the early part of the 1900s. They were in a convention and praying that God would send a revival to that nation. They were such a minority. And he began to pray with such a conviction, just almost like he was pouring himself into that prayer. And the prayer was, give me souls or I die. Over and over he kept saying, I want to have souls saved. There's no reason for living if I can't see souls saved in this dark land. I'm going to die if I don't see souls saved. And... It's very interesting because following that, he began to pray, God, give me one soul a day in this dark land. You know, the end of that first year, he had won 365 souls to the Lord. Then he added another soul, another one. Up to four souls were being won every day because he was praying, give me souls or I die. And God answered the prayer of a man they called Praying Hyde. Here in Chicago, there are others. Remember, D.L. Moody brought revival to this city. There are other revivals. Charles Finney, George Whitfield, the Wesley brothers in England, many more. Those are people. But uh, we've heard about revivals that actually affect a nation like Elijah was doing. I've heard for years about the New Hebrides uh, revival. It took place from 1949 to 1952, and the New Hebrides are a series of islands off the west coast of Scotland that experienced a great revival. You know, I really didn't know much detail about it, but I wanted to refer to this morning. So I just took my computer and put New Hebrides revival. To be honest with you, I didn't expect the secular worldly computer to have anything about revival in the New Hebrides. But you know what came up? I think it said revival. When God stepped down from heaven. The New Hebrides Islands Revival from 1949 to 1952. And here's what the article began to say. I, I cut it out to read it to you. When men in the streets are afraid to open their mouths and utter godless words, lest the judgment of God should fall. When sinners, overawed by the presence of God, tremble in the streets and cry for mercy. When without special meetings and sensational advertising, the Holy Ghost sweeps across cities and towns in supernatural power and holds men in the grip of terrifying conviction. When every shop becomes a pulpit, every heart an altar, 
every home is sanctuary, and the people walk softly before God, this is revival. I just pulled that up yesterday on a computer. I thought, wow, that's revival. Amazing. Affecting a nation. And that's what happened. There's another revival called the Welch Revival in, in Wales. took place at the beginning of the early 1900s. And there were so many people saved. So many lives trans, tra- transformed that the pubs actually were shut down because there was no more business in the drinking establishments in Wales. There were cities in Wales where the police department was abandoned because there was no more crime. People prayed and kept on praying to revival hit their city or hit their country. See, Elijah was that kind of a prayer and he affected an entire nation in their wicked condition. The second thing I want to put up here is Elijah affected not only the nation, but he affected the leadership of the nation. He dealt with a king, that ungodly man who had forsaken the way of the Lord. He dealt with a queen, Jezebel, with her ungodly lifestyle and sinful ways. Do you see why he was compared to John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist challenged King Herod for his immorality. And what did it get him? It got him put in jail. Eventually had his head cut off because he spoke to the authorities about what was right and wrong. It's easy to say today, oh, nice they affected the leadership of their nation, but we can't do that in our country. Nobody's going to listen to us. We can't make any impact on anybody. Um, Everybody has their own lifestyle. They just do their own thing. They don't pay any attention. I can't affect people in office. Remember Billy Graham, several times he's been to the White House to pray with the president. But, uh, you know, President Obama hasn't called me to the White House lately. I don't have any word to say. I would have been called to express my opinions about authority, uh, to those in authority. No, but we have been called to pray. That familiar verse, Pastor Darrell preached it a number of weeks ago, 2 Chronicles 7.14, we are to pray, confess our sins. Turn from our wicked ways that God might hear from heaven and heal our land. We can do something. Amen? I'd like to just say this morning that in about 80 days on November 6th, we're going to have an election in our country. And we have an opportunity, even as Christians, to go to the polls and, and vote. And let our voice be heard for righteousness in our land. Not enough just to criticize everything that's going on. We need to take a stand for righteousness, and we've got about 80 days to pray and prepare for that event. Maybe we can't talk personally to those in leadership in our nation or in our state or even our city, but we can talk to God. And we can have a voice on who is in those positions, and maybe our voice would help bring about godly leadership in the strategic areas that affect our lives so forcibly. Let's pray. Let's vote. They say, well, my vote won't count. I don't care what we're going to do. We're not going to get godly people. It doesn't do any good to speak up. Nobody listens anyhow. I don't care. We have a responsibility to stand for righteousness and godliness in our nation like Elijah did. And if we each want, thank you for that one amen. Amen. How many can say amen to that? 
I believe it. We need to stand for righteousness. And if we each one do our part and pray, I believe that God can work through us even in the coming election. So let's get out there and be heard for righteousness before there's nothing left to stand for in this nation. Could I illustrate this with a personal story that has affected my life? Lest I learn from my dad, in standing for your convictions, no matter what, even if nobody else does or nobody cares, what is right is right, and we need to have godly convictions. I learned that from my dad. I remember when I was just a boy, I think it was in about the fourth grade, probably 10 years old or so, we lived in Los Angeles, and it was election time. And I remember as kids, we got all excited and involved. We were wearing buttons for the candidates of our family, what our family wanted to do. It was a big deal back then, bumper stickers and banners and buttons. And I was all excited, involved as a kid, as all the kids were in school. <clears throat> but as we got closer to the election, I could see that the other candidate for president was extremely popular. Seemed he could do, seemed he could do nothing wrong. And my dad's candidate... I use his name so much, I won't say it this morning. I still can remember what the, the loser was. I remember the name. It was obvious to me, even as a little boy, that there is no way that my dad's candidate that I wore the buttons for was going to win. No way he was going to win. So one night, I decided to, to have a talk with my dad about the election. And I told my dad, there is no way that our candidate is going to win. I learned one of the greatest lessons on integrity, on conviction, on right principles, and on honesty that has followed me even down to this day. Because my dad said to me as a little 10-year-old boy, he had a major conversation. He said, let me tell you why I'm going to vote for this candidate. He said, the other man running for president is a man who repealed prohibition when he first came into the presidency probably about 10 years earlier. And that means he brought into law the uh, legalization of selling liquor, opened the taverns, brought in the era of legalized beer and whiskey from that time clear till now. And you may say, well, so what? That's just the way it is. It's always been that way in our lifetime. That's probably for the best anyhow. But my dad told me his personal story, how his father was a drunkard, a drunkard man, I think I've mentioned that from the pulpit before. My dad's mother died from poverty and sickness because she didn't have any treatment because of my grandfather's habit and his lifestyle. She died a drunkard's wife when my dad was only six years old, the oldest of four children. He told me he remembered his dad coming home drunk and eating all the food that was on the table while four little kids and a sick wife went to bed hungry. He told about pillows being stuffed in broken windows, trying to keep the cold winter out, cold uh, wind outside. That was his life growing up. He said this, I can't vote for a man who legalized that kind of lifetime for so many people clear down till today. He told me, when I was just a little boy, I know the opposition candidate is going to lose, but it is my duty to vote for what is right and what I believe, whether he wins or not. And I learned that day what the meaning of integrity, what standing for our convictions is all about no matter what. 
that righteousness is more important than winning. And right needs to be something we stand up for, whether it wins in this world's system or not. Let me finish this story. My mother's, uh, his mother's parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, his grandparents, took these four little children, when their mother died, into their home to raise their own kids, as their own kids, because their kids were now grown. And that would be my great-grandpa Parr took his grandchildren into his house when his mother died. He was a Quaker minister, a preacher. He put those kids in a Christian school, clear through high school. My dad and his brother became pastors, preachers all their life. While the other brother was an atheist all of his life, and he died a broken, bitter man because he never got over it. The girl, one girl in the family remained a church member all of her life. And my grandfather, the drunk, my dad kept witnessing to him every time he would go to that state. Every time we'd go there on vacation, he would go see him. None of the rest of the family would go see him. My dad would and tell him about Jesus. Before he died, his dad accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and began to travel with another preacher to churches, giving his testimony how God had miraculously saved him and told about his conversion. See, God is faithful, even in horrible circumstances, because God's word is true, and we need to stand for truth. The lesson we can learn from that is stand for what's right. Stand for biblical principles, whether they're popular or not. Stand for truth and see God work. Even if it looks like, even if it looks like there's no hope, and we know that we aren't going to win in the natural. Have convictions that are based upon the word of God like Elijah did. And we can see revival in our nation. Can anybody say amen to that? We need godly people today is what I'm saying. People will stand for what is right. Every voice makes a difference. So let's stand for God and the revival that he wants to bring to us and to our land. I want you to see not only the miraculous part of Elijah, but before I close this morning, I want to see the man, Elijah. He was a man with God's message. And he turned a nation to God through power and prayer. The point I'm making is, is not to be just popular, not to go along with everybody else, but even our land to stand and vote for what is truth and for what is right. What else do we see about the man Elijah? Number one, we have seen that Elijah affects his, affected his nation. Number two, we saw Elijah had an influence on the leadership of his nation. Even a king. And we have an election coming up. Thirdly, Elijah challenged the way things were done in society. Even among the leadership of the nation, he challenged the status quo and the Business as usual. Things can be wrong in our world. You know, it's too easy to say, well, that's just the way it's always been, when we should say, is this right? What is right? For example, let me just give an example from the life of that ungodly king that Elijah had to deal with. That ungodly king, Ahab, wanted a piece of land, a vineyard, that happened to be right next to the palace. And Ahab said, wouldn't that make a nice little garden for us, beautiful place here? I want that piece of land. So he went to the owner. His 
name was Naboth. It's in 1 Kings chapter 21. He said, give me your land. I'll give you a better piece of land someplace else. But the man said, oh, no. That land has been in our family forever. It's our inheritance. I couldn't give up our family landmark. And Ahab the king went home really down because Naboth had said no, even though he was the king. And his old wife Jezebel said, what's wrong, baby? Why aren't you eating your supper? I didn't make that up. The Bible says Ahab would not eat because he was pouting, real mature. He said, the man won't give me his property. And so he was pouting about it. You know what Jezebel said? Who's king here anyhow? (laughs) I'll take care of it. So she framed this man Naboth. Got two false witnesses. The Bible calls them sons of the devil. To testify that Naboth had blasphemed. They had said things he shouldn't have said. And they condemned him and actually killed him for his stand. Then Jezebel said to her husband, it's all handled. No more Naboth. Go down, get your vineyard. It's all yours. Now we handle the problem our way. The Bible says the word of God came to Elijah. Go down and meet Ahab as he goes to take possession of that vineyard. The point I'm making is Elijah challenged the way things were being done in society. Go down and meet that wicked man. And he condemned the action. Even predicted at that point the death of his wife Jezebel, how she would die. And that came to pass in 2 Kings chapter 9 as he predicted. But the verse that I think is so significant, I put it up here, 1 Kings 21-20. Elijah went out to meet Ahab as he was getting ready to take possession of this field that he had stolen. And he said to him, have you killed, and now you're going to take possession? And Ahab answered Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? (laughs) So, my enemy, have you found me? Call him his enemy. Think about that. See, society may see us as the enemy of progress. Because we don't go along with the, with the program. And Elijah said, I have found you. Why? Because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. What I'm saying is, revival should clean up our actions. It should help us be honest, to be forthright even with one another, in our actions on the job, in the world, Not using every method we can to take advantage of somebody like Ahab did, but not not just to get our own way. Revival should make a difference even in our dealings with one another and make us stand for righteousness no matter what. Amen? I believe revival would make our difference in our life. I need to really hurry and wrap this up, so I'll just give you some of the points or general ideas If you're taking notes, number four, Elijah was a man of prayer as well as action. Well, you've seen his prayer. His prayer controlled the weather. It controlled the living conditions of people, matters of life and death. The next one, revival deals with our convictions. Number five is closely related to that story. Revival will always have a stand for justice and righteousness. We don't always understand why. We cry, why, Lord, are these things happening? In Naboth's case, the government, those people in power, were taking away his rights. I believe that revival and even doing right against the injustice of the world is not just taking action for action's sake. 
It's not just taking, I'm going to find a cause and get involved. It's to stand for what is right and do the will of God no matter what. That's what revival is. And it will affect the way we live. Number six, revival is also caring for people. I've already mentioned how the care of the widow. There was another story about a man named Obadiah. Jezebel was killing all the prophets. Obadiah found, Elijah didn't even know it, found a hundred prophets. Two caves, put 50 in each one, and every day he brought them bread and water and kept those prophets alive. See, God has his people who will show compassion when there is a need. We need that caring concern for one another. I'm glad we take prayer requests. You might ask, well, how is that revival? Because we're not being selfishly motivated, but we're being motivated with that which touches the heart of God, and we're feeling his heart. Couple verses up there. You can look them up later. Micah 6 8. I won't take time to read it. Maybe you already have. Uh, what it says about Jesus, how he was to heal the brokenhearted. He came to bring de- deliverance to the captives, liberty to those who are brown, that are bruised, and preach the gospel to the poor. See, all of that is included in revival how we love and treat each other that Jesus loved. Number seven, Elijah. Another quick point. The fact that when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be taken care of. I've already shown how the other things that we live for many times aren't so important when revival comes. When Elijah stood for righteousness, God took care of him and he had no problems. He had something to eat every day. Three and a half years of famine, every day Elijah was what was cared for. God even used ravens to bring the food in. He even used the widow lady. God was faithful to provide. And the lesson we need to learn is you cannot um, outdo God. Say, well, I don't know. God might not take care of me. If we seek God in his righteousness, like Elijah did, not counting his own life important, but gave himself to the ministry, God will always provide. It's a law of revival. See God first and watch him work miraculously for you. Now, next one I want to take up is point number eight. And this is a biggie entitled, Revival Challenges Evil. Sometimes we have to stand for righteousness. Evil is going on. And I think many times even Christians are too passive. This refers to the miracle on Mount Carmel that I mentioned earlier where Elijah Challenge the prophets of Baal to a duel in 1 Corinthians 18. He said to the people, how long will you halt between two opinions? Oftentimes the same today. We have to speak up to people. How come we're so wishy-washy? Why are we divided in our mind? He said, are you going to serve God? You're going to go the other way. Elijah said, if God be God, then follow him. And the people said they answered not a word. What a non-committed group. Kind of like if I asked for amens and nothing happened, you know. Amen. Elijah said to the people, I'm the only prophet remaining. But Baal, he's got 450 men called Baal's prophets. And God said, let's see who, excuse me, Elijah said, let's see who God is. Let's build two altars on Mount Carmel. Put an animal on each of them. You, prophets of Baal, call on your God. 
I will call on the name of the Lord God, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. One man challenging a whole nation. Think about it. And Baal's people, they cried all day. They beat themselves. They cut themselves with knives. They worked themselves up into a frenzy and no answer. Verse 27, Elijah started making fun of them, mocking them. Why don't you cry a little louder? Maybe your God's talking and he can't hear you. Get a little louder. Or maybe he's taking a long trip. You've got to call him back. Or maybe he's sleeping. Wake him up. And they just cried louder and beat themselves more all day long. When it came time for the evening sacrifice that God had prescribed, Elijah said to all the people, come here. I want you to see what's going to happen. And he prepared the altar of the Lord. We need to build back an altar. Before the Lord. He got the sacrifice on it. Then he told the people, I want you to fill four barrels with water and pour it on the sacrifice. They did it. He said, let's do it again. Four more barrels poured on top of the sacrifice. He didn't want to make any mistake that this thing was rigged. He had a spark of fire under there. Third time, water was, do it again. Four more barrels, 12 barrels put on it. Water is running off the sacrifice. It said it filled the trench all the way around the bottom of the altar. That was filled with water. And then Elijah prayed a simple prayer. Let me read it to you on the screen from 1 Kings 18. All he said was, hear me, O Lord. Hear me. Why? That this people will know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their heart back again. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I think God overdid it, don't you? And when all the people saw this, they weren't quiet this time. They fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. What he did, he challenged the evil. He came against the forces of darkness. And then the people were so worked up, they took all the 450 prophets of Baal and killed them on the spot. God's going to be our God from now on. The ninth thing I want to bring to you before I close is back from James 5. Elijah was a man just like we are. Same passion, same feelings. And in closing, let me give you the other side of picture of this real man of God. He became discouraged after this great revival. After this great victory, he was depressed. Why? Because of the threat of one woman named Jezebel who said, I'm going to kill you. You killed my prophets. I'm going to kill you. And Elijah ran for his life. Elijah, the man of miracles, the man of power, ran for his life and hid in a cave. Sometimes we can get so overwhelmed by the news that we feel like running away. He hid in a cave for fear of one little woman. And this was a great prophet of God. It shows that any of us can become discouraged. Any of us can become defeated or even depressed. But God came to Elijah. And you know what God said to the mighty man of God? What are you doing here? (laughs) Why are you hiding? Why are you running away? And he, poor me, I'm the only prophet left. Now they're trying to kill me. There's nobody but me. You know what God says? Oh, no, I've got 7,000 more who have not bowed to the world system. You're not alone. It's just he didn't know. Sometimes we feel I'm 
The only one in my family. Nobody cares if I live for God. God's got more people than you know about. It's going to be a great multitude when you get to heaven. Sometimes we feel we're all alone, nobody but me. God's got people we don't even know about yet. And if we stand for righteousness, God's going to bring it forth. See, God met him in his weakness, in his discouragement, in his brokenness, even in his self-pity. God knew right where he was, and he came to him. He was still God's man of revival, even though the circumstances had gotten to him. That's number nine. Last one is number ten. And this is the final characteristic I want to give you about this man of revival. He could still hear that still, small voice of God talking to him. I told this story in 1 Kings 19. God passed by, and there was a great wind. The Bible calls it a whirlwind. It's like a tornado. It, said the, it was so strong, the rocks were actually broken as the wind blew through. God passed by, but it said God wasn't in the whirlwind. Then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. There was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. These were all manifestations of God's power. And I'd like to clarify something on revival, because revival, we feel many times, is more manifestations, more excitement, more things you know, happening, people crawling the walls, jumping all over the place. You've got to see more action. What really happened after all of this, there came a still small voice. There was God speaking to Elijah. God asked again, what are you doing here, Elijah? I think the sign of revival is can we hear God speaking to us? Can you hear when he wants to get across something to you? When God's trying to give us direction, is there a difference in our life where God is in relationship to us I really want to say, when we are in relationship with God. When we're in right relationship with God, that's why I'm preaching this morning, where are the Elijahs of God? You say, I can't be that kind of man because I'm too depressed, I'm discouraged, I'm defeated, all these things. I showed you the man of God was too, but God still could use him mightily. And I believe there's no reason that any of us can say, I just want to say, I believe God's moving in Christian life. I really believe that God wants to give us a visitation, a summer revival. I believe it, and I look forward to what God's going to do, even here at CLC, as we move forward. And I hope and pray that the life of Elijah has given us some insight into the working of revival. In relationship to God's power, relationship to answer prayer, but also a picture into the person the type of person that God wants us to be, people that God can use for his glory, for his power, and his purposes. I'm going to ask Pastor Darrell to come, and I want him to pray, and just ask God, where are you? Are you hiding in a cave? Are you running for your life? What are we doing right now in relationship to God and revival? Because I want to say we're not alone. God sees every one of us, and he's calling your name and we can begin seeking him in power. Pastor Darrell. Let's bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord and allow the word of God to sink deep from the moment Pastor Merrill started preaching today, the the conviction started to come. Where are the Elijahs of God?
Lord, we wait in your presence for your still, small voice to speak. God, we want to be the men and women that you've called us to be. Men and women of prayer. Men and women that will take a stand for you. Men and women that will hold on to righteousness and justice and peace. God, we get afraid sometimes. We get depressed sometimes. And God, I pray that you administer to us just as you ministered to Elijah. As you raised him up. As you supplied what he needed. God, you gave him a voice. and You gave him strength. And God, we want that strength. We want that power, the same power. And God, I thank you that uh, you use ordinary men and women to change the world. And so God, we say, here we are today. Elijah's open, ready, available to hear your voice, to pray the prayer, to take the stand, no matter what it costs us, God. And God, just as you brought revival into a very dark time in Israel's history. God, I pray that you would bring revival into our day. And God, I pray that uh, we would see millions upon millions of people come to know you. Billions of people, Lord, in the days to come. May the whole earth be filled with your glory. And may we never stop praying. May we never give up, God, until we see you face to face. Thank you, God, for your word today. May it speak to us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a good word from the Lord this morning. Man, that was good. Thank you, Pastor Merrill. I I so appreciate him uh, uh, preaching this morning. We were actually supposed to still be on vacation, but wanted to be back and needed to be back today. Uh, for a uh, parents' meeting. Uh, so if you have children in uh, Ignite Youth Ministry or going into Ignite, Ignite Youth Ministry, junior high, senior high, uh, we're going to be meeting in a leaders' meeting as we talk about the transition and things coming up. We're going to be meeting uh, just directly out these doors and over here to the Heritage Room, and we'll be meeting there in just a few minutes. But would you stand for the blessing of the Lord this morning? And we're uh, going to do something a little different today. And uh, we want to pray for everyone that is, is headed back to school, because we're going to do the blessing on everyone. But we want to pray a blessing upon our children, upon our young people. And so I'm going to ask if you are, are heading back to school this week or in the weeks to come, or maybe you're already back, I'm just going to ask any child through, you know, children through high school, college, even college, people, maybe people leaving for college, come on down. Please just step out of your seat quickly. We want to say a blessing over you. Nobody wants to be the first one, but come on down if you're going to school. Come on. I'm going to ask anybody that is a teacher to step out of your seat, or maybe you're a high school counselor, or maybe you work in administration, or maybe you're the principal, maybe you drive a bus, maybe you, maybe you sweep up after the kids. Where if you are involved in school, maybe you're a room parent or, or part of the teachers association or anything, come on down. Just step out of your seat. Come on down. All right. Come on down. Come close. Come close, everybody. All right. No, face me because I'm going to pray a blessing over you guys. 
I'm going to pray a blessing over you, and we're going to receive the blessing of the Lord as we go. But can we just stretch forth our hand to these uh, young men and women going off to maybe grade school, junior high, high school, college, but uh, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you for that blessing that is going to rest upon our children and our children's children, God, as they step back into the classroom. That blessing that's going to rest upon the teachers and those that oversee our children. God, I thank you that you will give them the spirit of Elijah as they go to school. That they will be just men and women of prayer, men and women of conviction. Lord, we pray safety over our children. Whether they walk into their college or they walk into their high school or their junior high, God, whether they walk into their grade school or to kindergarten for the first time, may you go with our children. We can't go with them, but you said you would never leave. You would never forsake. So we pray for protection. We pray for peace. We pray for safety, God. We pray for boldness. Pray for wisdom. We pray for strength. And God, we believe that you're going to take better care. You love them more than we ever could. And God, we thank you that you go with them this week and And, Lord, into that classroom, God, go with them. Go with us, Lord, as we leave, God. And, Lord, when we gather together next week, may we bring new people to know you next week, Lord. We pray for a great harvest, America. May we be Elijah this week, proclaiming your name, God, to everyone we meet. And, God, keep us safe and strong until we can gather together again as a church and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Pray for our kids this week as they head back and and go. As you go today, fellowship with one another, and if you need special prayer, be down front. And all parents of anyone in Ignite, we're going to meet in the prayer room, heritage room, uh, just over to your left, my right, and uh, we'll see you there in just a few minutes. God bless you.